Hello and welcome to Talking Aussie Books, a new weekly podcast shining a spotlight on Australian fiction. My name is Claudine Tanellis. As a writer and avid reader, I love chatting about books. And in this podcast, I'll chat to authors, publishers and readers, giving you, dear listener, insight into what's hot on the Australian fiction scene. So if you're looking for your next book recommendation or just want to know more about Aussie fiction writers, this podcast is for you. Grab yourself a cuppa, sit back and enjoy. Listeners, today is one very special day. This interview has been in the making since October of 2018, and I am so excited to be chatting with this incredible, thoroughly inspiring Australian author. Jane Harper has written three international best-selling books, books which have been published in 40 territories worldwide. She has won numerous top awards, including the Australian Book Industry Awards Book of the Year, the Australian Indie Awards Book of the Year, the CWA Gold Dagger Award for Best Crime Novel, and the British Book Awards Crime and Thriller Book of the Year. Jane's first novel sold over a million copies worldwide and has now been adapted into a major motion picture starring Eric Banner and is due for release early next year. Her new book, The Survivors, is due to be released here in Australia on September 22, and I know that there are many of you out there who simply cannot wait to get your hands on it. I'm completely starstruck and utterly delighted to welcome Jane to the podcast today. Hi, Jane. Oh, hello. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. I have to say that I'm having a total out-of-body experience at the moment. I'm sweating and I'm, I'm feeling really rather giggly. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for your time. Oh, not at all. No, it's so lovely to be here. And, and thank you for kind of showcasing Australian authors in the way you do. It's really great to have a space where, you know, we can really celebrate all the, you know, the great books that are, are coming out from local authors. Jane, congratulations on yet another stellar book in The Survivors. I absolutely loved it. For me, it had all the Jane Harper trademarks, a tightly woven plot, a cast full of interesting but somewhat suspicious characters, lots of red herrings, but it also felt slightly different too. So I wanted to ask you, did you find writing this one to be a different experience to the others? I think, you know, each each book is a different experience because, you know, each time you know, I learned something new really about the writing process. You know, for me, this time I, I really felt like I learned a lot from the previous three books in terms of what really works for me to get, you know, the words on the page and the planning process that I like to go through. And I think the the way a novel is structured. So I was able to take advantage of all that kind of technical know-how that I guess I've built up over the past three books. And that let me sort of get into the creative stuff, I think, a lot quicker. Yeah, I mean, I re- like, I really loved writing this one. It was, it was a lot of fun. And I really, yeah, I'm pleased with the way it came out. The finished product is, is kind of exactly what I hoped for, I think, when I started writing it. So I was, I was really happy with the way it came together. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, like The Lost Man, The Survivors is a standalone novel, but it's different from any of the others in that the events take place in a coastal town, uh, a coastal town somewhere in Tasmania. Yeah, so, I mean, for me setting is such an important part of my novels and it's something that I think about you know so early on um when I'm first kind of coming up with an idea for a book you know I think about kind of a a plot hook and then really immediately I'm thinking about the setting those two are really interlinked I knew for this one I had this idea for you know for the survivors for the story set in this real small tight-knit coastal community Um, with this you know beautiful kind of rugged seascape and you know we're better than Tasmania you know it was it was just often I thought the perfect mix of those kind of small coastal towns and the landscape I was looking for so it was really fun to be able to set this book there. 
Yeah, brilliant. As I stated earlier, I was lucky enough to have read The Survivors already. But for those who haven't, could you tell me a little bit more about the story? Yeah, sure. So The Survivors is set in this small coastal community um, in Tasmania called Evelyn Bay, which was rocked, you know, more than a decade earlier when this terrible storm swept through town and caused a lot of destruction. And the town has sort of rebuilt itself and it's thriving um, on tourism during the, the peak seasons. And then at the tail end of the summer, it's rocked again when a body of a young woman is found on the beach. And for me, it raises all these sort of things that I just love writing about. You know, it's kind of small town intrigue and, you know, secrets unearthed and, um, and kind of questions to be answered. So that was what I, you know, set out to write with this book. So what was the inspiration? Was there a what if moment that led you to start uncovering Kieran's story? Yeah, so so Kieran Elliott is the, the main character in the story and he's um, a guy, you know, he's sort of 30 years old, he has a partner, he has a, a new baby and he grew up in this town in Tasmania and had, you know, friends and relationships there when he was a teenager. He moved away after an incident which was very traumatic for him and he has sort of rebuilt his life really a, a, away from there and then he comes back at the start of the book to help his parents who were struggling for various reasons. And he comes back with his young family. For me, for the character of Kieran, I think a real sort of starting point was this idea of revisiting your past with fresh eyes. And when you have a few years of experience and reflection under your belt, how different you maybe feel and how differently you look at things that at the time made sense and at the time you thought were perfectly acceptable and how your perception changes. So that was really, I think, a big part of, of Kieran's story when I when I was sort of developing him as a central character in this book. Fascinating stuff. Now, Evelyn Bay is a fictional town in which the events of this novel take place, as you've mentioned. Was it based on a particular town in Tasmania or was it an amalgamation of different characteristics? Yeah, it's an amalgamation really, which is what I, I always try and do. So in all my books, what I'm ideally aiming for is that the the setting feels, you know, very familiar and authentic but at the same time is, is fictionalised. So um, there's no one place that it's completely based on. But I, I sort of draw in during my research, lots of elements, like I cherry pick little stories and little kind of visual cues and things like that to try and create this setting that does feel very recognisable, but that you don't point to and say, oh, I know where that place mm. is. That's, you know, so-and-so town. Because I think it is really important that it is fictionalised, especially in these kind of small communities. You know, I don't want to be sort of pointing to any one particular place. It's more the feel of the region and trying to capture, I think, those elements that make that make it recognisable, make it feel, you know, three-dimensional and like somewhere that, you know, you may have been. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So tell me about the shipwreck memorial in this book. It's a striking landmark and one that had me wondering if it was real or not. Alas, my own research hasn't uncovered anything to confirm or deny it. No, so it's, it's, it's not real. Yeah, it's fictionalised. It's fictionalised elements. And um, what it is, for those um, who haven't read it, is there's a, a sculpture that looks out to sea and it's sort of well-known in town and it's a bit of a, a local landmark. Much the same way as you know, those who've read The Lost Man will may remember there's um, the, the Stockman's Grave mm. in that book, which is just a grave in the middle of nowhere which is on these brothers properties and it's just one single grave with a bit of a, a mixed history and I did often get asked if that was a real a real place <laughs> as well um and and it's the same answer really that they're they're not real places but I think they're sort of I try and think things that are based on you know things that, that are real so the Stockman's grave is based on real life lonely graves that can be found in the outback with the statue in the book that was inspired by a few different pieces of artwork you know I've seen there's 
an artist in the UK that does sort of life-size sculptures look out to see that have you know I think are really beautiful mm. and there's a, a park that I walk near which has a, a life-size sculpture of a man in a in the middle of a lake and I walk past that a lot so I think that probably played into it a little bit you know when I'm creating the settings I try and think of something that you know again sort of feels authentic and I think a lot of places do have you know like local landmarks that they're proud of and have different meanings I guess for different people depending on your perspective and the time you spent in the town and whether you're a local or a tourist that was kind of what that was built around that sculpture is called the survivors because it commemorates those who survived the shipwreck that lies at the bottom of the ocean off Evelyn Bay the Mary Minerva but a central theme of the book is essentially survivor's guilt an exploration of how a person coped with surviving a situation when others don't was this something you wanted to consciously explore? And if so, do you think there might be a fair bit of that in light of COVID at the moment? I think, you know, with themes in the book, one thing that is always sort of true, I think, whenever I write the book is that I, I always let the themes be driven by the characters. Mm. So when I was thinking about the, the plot of the novel and the the different things that the characters have experienced that sort of idea of you know what happens to people who are left behind after a traumatic incident was something that emerged you know quite quickly mm. and and I spoke to as part of my research one of the lead clinical advisors at Beyond Blue about the mental health impact of that particularly on young men and you know what kind of the typical reactions and, and is to something like that and what kind of treatments I guess is offered to them and and what kind of things, you know, work and maybe don't work as well. So that was really fascinating in terms of the lingering impact it has on people's lives. And that was really helpful when I was writing the book. With any themes, ideally you, you want them to be things that even if readers, I guess, hopefully have never experienced themselves in those terms, they do sort of recognise them as things that, you know, they do witness in everyday life. And we, we all kind of, I guess, experience in some degree with things that happen personal or more of a, you know, community global level, I guess. So remember hearing you talk about the extensive research you did for The Lost Man. Do you think the research for this book was as intensive? I did do probably a similar amount of research. It maybe felt a little bit, so I think it was as intensive. Whether it was as intense is probably a different question because mm. um, the the Lost Man took me right out to, to Birdsville in the outback and that was a real kind of, that was a really like amazing experience. I, you know, I flew up to Queensland and I, I went on this kind of outback, you know, drive across, you know, this deserted road with a retired cop and he showed me around and we went out to these really remote cattle stations and and so that was an experience like no other I've ever had um <laughs> and it was you know it, it took quite a lot of planning and organization to to be able to get out there on the ground but it was so worthwhile and I, I learned things that I never would have found out about had I not gone out there so I think it is always really important to try and do that kind of boots on the ground research so that's I did the same with this book in Tasmania but obviously Tasmania is a little bit easier to get to from Melbourne than you know it's an outback Queensland so so in that way it felt a little bit less intense to have to organize this trip but um I've been to Tasmania a few times over the years and I really loved it and, and I think that was what drew me to set the book there but I, I do like to do a specific research trip as well so I did that early this year I was actually lucky with the timing in that I managed to get out there before travel restrictions 
kids were a thing at all. So I went with my family actually, and we drove along the coast, stopped at a lot of little towns, spoke to a lot of people. I went, I went scuba diving, um, wow. <laughs> which was to get this sort of firsthand feel of those kind of freezing waters yeah. um, against your wetsuit. So that was really interesting. And I, and I, I was able to draw on some of that in the book as well. It's always worth doing. And I think it always adds something to the book for me. Now, more than just the sense of place, your novels explore the relationships shaped by these landscapes and leave us in no doubt about the brutality of Mother Nature. Do you think that this is a uniquely Australian thing? I don't know, really, because I think, you know, lots of places have extreme weather of their own. I mean, you look at those kind of Midwest US states who have, you know, mm. tornadoes and and things. I guess some of those those sort of really cold countries with their, you know, their snowfalls and avalanches. And I guess more so everywhere has their own unique challenges. But I think Australia is really beautifully set up for writers. And it does have this natural landscape, I find, that it doesn't take a lot for things to go wrong. So that gives you like a real kind of helping hand straight away because you can have these completely plausible, recognisable situations where the danger of nature does a lot of the, the work for you in terms of creating that kind of dramatic incident or, or tension, really. You mentioned that the themes in your books are driven by the characters, but I wondered, would you ever consider writing a novel that was purely character-driven? For me, they kind of go hand in hand because, you know, when I'm, when I'm set out to write a book, I would say that I always set out in a way to write a book that's character driven I come up with the you know the plot maybe as the first point of call in the setting but then the characters come you know obviously really soon after that and then it's really the characters that I think help shape the whole overarching feel of the novel and and all the action and all the sort of different twists and turns that the book takes and I guess for a long time that's kind of what the book is for me when I'm kind of drafting my plan mm. And it's only really once I've kind of got that in place that then things like the themes start to emerge. And I think they tend to emerge quite naturally because, you know, you've got two characters talking. What's yeah, their background? What are they concerned about now? What are their kind of hopes for the future? You know, what's their relationship to whatever's happened in the book? And through that, I think these larger themes start to emerge because you can't really ignore them and still have characters that are believable. You know, you've got to kind of reference these worries concerns that these characters are genuinely going to have I think it's very hard to write believable characters without having those broader themes come into play in some way you've been credited with instigating a wave of interest in Australian crime writing or antipodean noir as it's also referred to opening up opportunities not only for more Australian crime novels but also crime written by women how do you feel when you hear that oh look I mean that's I mean it's incredibly flattering for you know (laughs) to say that and for anybody to kind of I guess attribute that to me because people have been writing great books for years, you know, and, and um, there's so many you know, talented authors who are producing fantastic books that deserve a lot of attention. And I think, you know, for, for me, I, I just wanted to, I suppose, be among them, be an Australian author who was writing about Australia and wrote books that people wanted to read was, you know, my kind of ultimate ambition when I first started writing The Dry, which was my, you know, my debut novel. And so, yeah, the response to The Dry was really unbelievable and it still is in a lot of ways when I look back the way the booksellers and readers just embraced it and the opportunities it created for me and opened so many doors and and really most important of all gave me the opportunity to write more books because that was all I ever really wanted was to be able to write books and 
to be able to do it professionally and full time is really, you know, it is really like a dream and it's what I never really would have thought would happen, to be honest. So, you know, if it has opened up doors for other writers, I'm really, you know, I'm really delighted about that. It's really hard to say what, what, what sort of drives market forces and maybe it was just the market was just ready for, mm. ready for us all. But I'm really happy that readers are kind of embracing these books in the way that they are. Indeed. I understand former President Bill Clinton read The Dry and posted about it on Twitter last year. Yeah. It must make you feel so proud. Uh, That was, yeah, that was a, that was a really unexpected moment as well because I didn't, um, I didn't have any idea that was coming. I mean, sometimes if something like that happens, maybe, you know, you might get a little bit of a tip off, like someone might say, oh, you know, so-and-so's mentioned it to your PR person or something. So you, you kind of at least aware that they've read it. But suddenly, no, there was just this, this list posted on Twitter of his, I think it was his favourite books he'd read that year or something. And, and the dry was on there and he had a little write-off saying something like, you know, brings the app back to life or something like that, which I dutifully, obviously, you know, that's was all leapt on and we took that quote and plastered all over the website and things. You know, it was quite amazing to sort of, think that he read it really that he didn't cross his path and since then actually um Madeline Albright who who worked under him in Mm. in in the government mentioned in an interview with the AFR recently that she had also she also read my books so I don't know if maybe if he led them to her or or, I'm not quite sure (laughs) I'm not quite sure I hope she went out and bought her own copy (laughs) that's right (laughs) so um yeah so that was so so I don't know if they just sort of yeah just um yeah give each other kind of book tips or what but it was it's, it's really lovely yeah when I whenever anybody mentions that I enjoyed your book so it actually doesn't really matter who it is it, like it genuinely doesn't people who come up to you on the streets or at book events you know and say I've loved your book or I enjoyed it or I gave it to, you know it's my mother or it it really is so special and it really means a lot because that's what you want to you know write something that people have enjoyed and they feel that you know gave them something for a few hours while they were reading it well it certainly has done that (laughs) most definitely (laughs) now Jane as we were talking before I started recording I had the absolute pleasure of meeting you here in Sydney at a literary lunch to celebrate the release of your third book The Lost Man back in October of 2018 and I was reflecting earlier on how different the world is now compared with then there were people packed into the ballroom of the Four Seasons Hotel I think there was something like four hundred people there that day and you were just about to embark on a national tour followed by an international tour. So I wanted to ask, do you think that in some ways COVID makes you more accessible to more people via online forums and appearances? Yeah, you know, I think it's a definitely like a silver lining situation, I think, in that when the survivors um comes out, your plans earlier this year to have this really fantastic kind of national tour similar to the event that you came to where you know I get to kind of meet a lot of people and we were going to visit a lot of places and things and then quite sort of early on I guess this year it sort of became apparent that was in doubt and then you know not possible at all so but I think it's amazing really the way that the booksellers and the kind of events hosts have shifted so quickly to these other opportunities so I'm doing a fully virtual tour now so if anyone would like to come along and hear a little bit more about the book there's a a number of online events which I do think is going to be a really interesting thing I hope I guess it will reach people who maybe otherwise wouldn't come to a live event or haven't before or are just not geographically able to come yeah hopefully it kind of does open up this new new sort of avenue I think for connection with readers and it's it's kind of I've been to a few myself I've been kind of 
sort of lurking on a, a few online events <laughs> to see how they go. And, um, and it's been really fun, actually. And it's, it's actually felt like a very sort of intimate, connected atmosphere, which has been really nice. And I think, you know, things that maybe didn't seem possible before uh, are opening up now, like talks with kind of you know, international authors and, you know, and stuff that I think before we just didn't really consider it you know but like so many things we, we sort of had to kind of get this new way of working and I do hope that some of this stays I hope you know there is still maybe an opportunity to do some online events in the future alongside in-person events because I think it does give that just another element to it really. As I mentioned earlier the dry was optioned for a film adaptation I wanted to know if you would tell me a little bit about your experience with the production the production was the same company behind A Big Little Lies is that right? Yeah, so it was a group called Made Up Stories, which is Bruna Papandrea and Reese Witherspoon um, at the time of option was were the driving forces behind that. And um, yes, yeah, as you said, quite rightly, behind Big Little Lies, which has obviously been a huge global smash hit. So I was really excited that, you know, they were they were interested in, in the dry, you know, as you would be. Um, so that was um, options in before it came out. That was options back in 2015 before it was published. Wow. And then they've actually, they moved really fast in, in movie terms, which is, I think it feels quite slow in terms of, you know, most people's definition of, um, of fast. It is actually very, very swift in terms of like making a film. And they, they filmed it early last year, so early 2019, under the direction of a great director called Robert Connolly and it was starring Eric Banner as Fork which was really fantastic you know he's such a wonderful Australian actor to have him involved it was just amazing so they filmed it yeah up in um, regional Victoria early 2019 in a range of different little towns so they sort of cherry-picked different elements of different places like a church in one place and a mm. pub in the other and they kind of have kind of cut it together so that it's it's created this one town of Kawara and I got to go up there and be an extra which was really, <laughs> which was just amazing like it was so fun and it was so surreal as well so me and like because it actually kind of needed people to because it was in this church in the middle of nowhere so they kind of needed people to kind of be there because they needed yeah. they needed a crowd for the funeral scene so me and about a dozen of my you know family and friends kind of trooped up there in this sort of blazing summer heat and played yeah grieving townspeople and it was really fun it was so amazing to sort of see see what's like and sitting in this funeral and it felt very real you know they had these you know the, the, the booklets they give out and like a sort of photo montage and it was it was very sad actually it was very moving and these sort of hearses outside waiting and yeah it was so fun so that was that was and I was really impressed at the time I think with what was being done and then I was lucky enough to see the finished product earlier this year so I got to see the whole finished film and it was it was amazing it was they've done such a great job I'm really really like delighted with it and I think it's really captured I think the spirit of the book yeah. and the characters are like they're so well reflected with the characters in the book and the whole kind of tone of feel and the locations are you know beautifully shot so it's due to come out I think April next year if you like the book you know put it in your calendar it, I think you'll love it it's, it's a really wonderful film. I have no doubt. I was going to ask, is it going to premiere here in Australia first? It was actually due to come out in August this year, but mm. quite early on that was postponed due to the pandemic. Mm. It was due to come out in Australian cinemas, so hopefully um, that will be the case next year as well when it does come out. I think it'll have a really sh strong showing in Australian cinemas. There's been a lot of support for it from Roadshow, who are the distributors. So, yeah, I think it'll be, it'll be really sort of celebrated here, I think. Fantastic. Well, I look forward to seeing you on the red carpet for that event. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> now, talking about the pandemic, I wanted to know, have you been, how have you been coping with the restrictions and lockdown in Melbourne and has this impacted your writing routine in any way? Yeah, so in Melbourne, we've had sort of ongoing new restrictions. It feels like really since, since March. I've been lucky in that the timing of it actually has worked quite well for me in terms of writing. It could have been a lot more difficult depending on what sort of pro- stage I was at in the process. Mm. But when we first got locked down, I was in the edit stage. But in a way, it, it didn't, the lockdown didn't really affect me that much because I, I kind of had my own office space alone. So I was able to continue just working, you know, in isolation throughout, really. So I kind of almost didn't really experience the start of it until I, I finally handed in this edit and I kind of emerged and was like, oh, my goodness, you know, um, <laughs> we, wow, you, you know, this is this is we're still locked down and and now I've sort of um not going to the office every day it's it's now locked down at home you know so I think like so many people it's quite a weird experience but then um lately you know luckily the the book is you know is completed and I'm in a a bit of a natural lull in the writing cycle anyway since we've been locked down a second time so it hasn't impacted my work at all other than the fact that obviously normally we would be having more in-person events and things like that when the book comes out which have like as I said have been changed to virtual events so that's really the biggest impact. You're famously or you have quite a disciplined approach to your writing and I wanted to know has that changed since you began writing? I think um, I've definitely probably become more disciplined if anything maybe more um, a better way to describe it is I think more efficient in the in the writing process because when I was first writing you know the dry I didn't I didn't know how to write a book so I was kind of feeling my way a little bit and I was sort of trying to do things that I thought seemed to help me so you know planning planning a, a bit further ahead and having a, an idea where the story was going seemed to help me. So that's what I did. And over the course of the, the four books, it's become you know, really clear to me that planning is a really important sort of part of my process. So I've really been able to kind of streamline that so that I know what stages I need to do when to really kind of get the the drafts to the place where they need to be and and then move on to the next stages. And, you know, I've been really fortunate to be able to draw on my career before I became a novelist. So I was a print journalist for 13 years on daily newspapers, which gave me this really solid, I guess, skill of working to deadline and being able to get the words on the page and things. So I still draw on that a lot. You know, that, that background has really helped me. Um, and now it's just a case of, I guess, channeling it into the novel writing and, and using all those skills to help me get what I need to get with the, with the process. Now, further to that, there are many writers who listen to this podcast. So I wanted to know if you had any tips to offer, what would they be? Yeah, I mean, like I have loads. It kind of depends a bit on what stage people are at, because I think people have such a different kind of journey in terms of their writing their books. First thing I would say is that there's you know, it's become really apparent to me there's no right or wrong way to write a novel. And people often ask for kind of tips about how you do it. And, you know, and I'm happy to kind of tell people how I do it. But it's become really clear to me just through talking to authors and things over the years that everybody's way is different and there's no real one way that works for everybody. So the first thing I would say is whatever you think works for you, that is the right way to do it. You know, you don't need to do it in the same way as anybody else just because that works for them. Like whatever is sort of helping you get those words on the page that's fine you you know keep on keep on doing that Mm. um what I would say though in terms of whatever that kind of process may be for you I would say make it as easy as possible for yourself and by that you know do this do those kind of practical things that I think can really help you 
make the most of your time and of your your process so for example try and get some consistency in your working whatever your kind of full-time job or commit you know family commitments could be try and work out if you can kind of carve out some consistent time so you feel like you're making the progress set yourself I guess little goals whatever works for you you know if it's word counts or if it's chapter goals or if it's kind of you know finishing the whole thing or whatever is going to motivate you to just keep at it and, and not let it fall by the wayside. Try and think of what that is you need to do to keep yourself focused. I would also say in terms of practical things that really help me, I write down all my ideas. I've heard some very successful authors who say they don't write down ideas and the, the good ideas stick. And again, if that works for them, then, you know, I have full respect for that. For me, that doesn't work. <laughs> and, it, and, and I know it doesn't work because quite often I will write down my ideas and I'll go back to them a couple of days later and I would have forgotten I ever had them. And they are genuinely useful ideas that absolutely make it into the book. And if I hadn't written them down, I would not remember them. And for me, that also has the benefit that it frees up quite a lot of mental space. So, you know, when you're writing a book, you're trying to keep so many balls in the air. It's months and months and months of work. And you, you, you can't remember things for that long, I don't think. Whereas if you write them down, you can free up some mental space to think about other things and think about how you're going to make other stuff work. My final sort of tip, I think, and it depends a little bit what kind of book you're writing, but for the kind of books that I write, one of the really things that helps me a lot when I'm planning is that I start from the end in a way. When I'm, when I'm thinking of the idea for the book, I don't sort of sit down and try and think of like a killer opening. I, I actually think more about the ending and that kind of resolution that's going to sort of stay with the reader and what it's all pointing to. And then from there, I sort of work backwards and I think about the characters that I need to build around that kind of ending and who, who do I need to sort of bring that reader to that point. And then where am I going to start this story? So the readers drops in at a point where they're kind of hooked, but they can be drawn through to this ending that I, I already have in mind. So that helps me a lot because it means I don't have to worry about painting myself into a corner, you know, when I've got this great opening and I don't know where it's going to go. I always know where it's going to go and working backwards helps me just feel confident that ultimately the whole book is going to make sense. That's fantastic. That's the first time I've heard anyone say that. You just learn these things as mm-hmm. you, as you write more and more, I start to think a bit more about the practices that actually work, like the technical aspects. And for me, that has been, that has been a big one. And that really sets me off, I think, on like a really strong footing, you know, when I start writing. So if, you know, if it works for anybody else, then it'll help them kind of get their ideas on, on the page with a bit more confidence. Indeed. Fantastic advice. And to that end, I might mention the wonderful TEDx talk you did on the creative process, which listeners can access via your website. I actually found that to be an incredibly illuminating talk. How did you find giving that talk? Oh, thanks. Yeah. So I gave that talk in 2018 when I was on my tour for The Lost Man, actually. And I have to say, it was so terrifying. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if you can sort of tell that on screen, but I've never done anything like that before. It was 10 minutes of public speaking and, you know, they encouraged you not to use notes. So you have to memorize it. And um, you got these kind of bright lights and you can't really see the audience. And it was one of those moments, though, that you you look back and think, oh, wow, I'm really glad I did that. Um, But I was really pushed out of my comfort zone a bit for that. But I wanted to do it, I think, because, you know, I do get asked a lot about the writing process. And, you know, and if I can offer anything that helps people, I'm happy to kind of offer any advice, I guess, that that Mm. can kind of help someone achieve what I, I understand myself can be a goal that can feel quite overwhelming. And, you know, that talk is still, it's still available online. If you go to my website, there's a there's a link or if you just google it it probably comes up but it was basically talking about 
those practical things you can do to support creativity mm. so not sitting around and waiting for lightning to strike it's about building that framework that really helps you develop those ideas and get yourself in a place where you can see this goal as a goal like any other which requires your time and a bit of discipline and a bit of focus rather than thinking that you know unless you're struck by inspiration then you can't do it it's a skill like any other and I think that's what I wanted to get across with that one absolutely and I didn't think you looked terrified at all. I thought it was a very <laughs> polished presentation. It was incredibly illuminating. And speaking as an aspiring writer, I think we do put a great deal of expectation on our shoulders in the sense that we think that it's this, you know, unattainable task. But the way that you spoke about it really did break it down in a way that made it really achievable, I think, for people who genuinely want to give it a crack. I hope so, because I, I really would love people to to give themselves a chance to do it because I think you know I know for years and years I wanted to write a novel and I never did it you know and I I literally would sort of sit down at the computer and kind of type a few paragraphs and go oh that's terrible like obviously I can't do this and I haven't got any good ideas and people have said it and you know maybe it just takes a while before you believe it but you know your first draft is not is not going to be the finished product your writing is allowed to be bad while you're working out the ideas and and it really is part of the process and it's just about like I guess, working through that process mm. and allowing yourself the time to develop it. I'll tell you actually quickly, like one thing that really found quite surprising was I watched this show sometimes, that's sometimes on the ABC called Fake or Fortune, I think it's called. And it's about these people who are kind of art experts. It's English. And so people could have called up and say, oh, you know, I was cleaning out my granny's attic and mm. we found this picture and I think it's a Monet. You know? And so they, <laughs> they basically kind of, and they're like, oh, well, you know, and they take it out and they sort of do all these kind of detective things to work out whether, you know, is it really a Monet or is it a, a clever fake, you know? And sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. But one thing that really, struck me was they often as part of their research they they find kind of sketchbooks you know and they find paintings that this 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 artist has done of this scene like practice paintings so you know I always thought artists just sat down and kind of painted the scene and we're like oh isn't that beautiful like yeah yeah here's my lilies aren't they gorgeous but but no they have like sketches and they kind of sketch it out and they try it from different angles and they try different color palettes and they have all these like you know variations of this painting before they do the painting. And I think that is like, and I was watching that and I was like, that is just so what a book is like. You know, you don't just sit down and write the book. You know, you do all these steps to, and you try different things and you reject things and you add things. And eventually you end up with your finished masterpiece. <laughs> so yeah. a lot of creative skills are like that. A lot of them require building up and trial and error. It's not just about sitting down and it just flowing from you in like a burst of inspiration. That's very heartening. Thank you for that advice, Jane. That's wonderful. So I wanted to ask you, what's next, Jane? Are you working on something else at the moment or are you just having a bit of a break from it all? So, yeah, I'm in a bit of natural downtime just while the book is about to come out. I do all my virtual events in the publicity around the survivors. And then, yeah, pretty soon I'll turn my mind, I guess, to the new book. I'm always sort of thinking a little bit about stories and keep my eyes peeled for things that might you know, make a book. So I think it's you know, safe to say it'll be an Australian mystery, you know, similar in kind of tone and feel to the others. But I haven't made any sort of firm decisions. I like to kind of 
toss up a few ideas and see see what you know you, you think you could actually develop into a whole kind of 300 page novel so I'll, I'll get through the the kind of the release of the survivors and then I'll um yeah term, start turning my mind to that properly fantastic well whatever it's going to be I'm sure it will be wonderful <laughs> as all of your work has been today thoroughly enjoyable Jane I wanted to say what an honor it has been for me to be able to chat with you today congratulations on another fabulous novel thank you for joining me on Talking Aussie Books Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, that's a wrap, folks. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or drop me a line via my Instagram at Claudine Tinellis or on my webpage, claudinetinellis.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, happy reading.